Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thankful to be in the house of the Lord tonight. We'll get right into the word. If you would, join me in the book of Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25 and 29, we'll read verses 29 through 34. And while you're finding that, please remember that this weekend is our district conference. Uh, We are having nightly services Thursday and Friday night. Service starts at 7.30, and Brother Bernard will be ministering in those services. And I promise you that if we go, we will be blessed. I believe that we have one of the greatest teachers for our general superintendent who can just put the word of God out there on, on, a many, on many different levels. He's got, a, he's got a high and lofty way of thinking, but he can put it right there where we can reach it, and I'm thankful for that. He's a, a great preacher, great teacher. Genesis 25, verses 29 through 34. Now let me just preface what we're about to talk about tonight with this. I understand where I am, and I understand where you are. I understand that I'm speaking to seasoned saints, people that have lived for God far longer than I even wanted to live for God. And I know that you're not going to hear anything new tonight. I know that I'm talking to the choir tonight. But I'm just reaching outside these walls right now. I feel like the Lord has just laid something on my heart. And if this is not you, you may know someone that's in this predicament. And so we can help each other and we can help others tonight if we'll just listen and hear the word of God. Genesis 25, 29 through 34. And Jacob sawed pottage and Esau came from the field and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee with that same red pottage for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do unto me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And so tonight, with the help of the Lord and with your help, I want to talk to us from this subject, the importance of the birthright. What profit can this birthright do to me? Hopefully by the end of this, we'll know the answer to that. So let's lift our hands, let's lift our voices, and let's ask the Lord 
to touch us together. Lord, we love you tonight. God, we thank you for your mercy that has found us here once again. Your grace is sufficient for us, Lord. So we stand as frail, frail flesh before you tonight. We need you. We need your power. We need your anointing, God, to anoint my mouth to speak. Anoint our minds, God, to hear, to receive the engrafted word of God. Help us to hold fast to this tonight, Lord. And we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You may be seated. It's a familiar story, <clears throat> I'm certain, to most of us here tonight. Jacob and Esau, two sons of Isaac and Rebekah grandsons to the patriarch Abraham. They were twins, yet their personalities could not have been more different. The Bible says that Esau was a man of the field, a cunning hunter, while Jacob is described as a man that is a plain man dwelling in tents. Brothers, relatives, yet they are two completely enrivaled people. That rivalry becomes quickly apparent as we begin to read their parents' love one above the other, fueling the animosity that was already between them. It isn't long after they're born that we see that very thing, that animosity that is playing out, it's mirroring that struggle that preceded their birth. Their first interaction brings that to pass in prophetic form. Genesis 25 and 23, God told her, their mother, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels and the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger. It's in these verses 29 through 34, the same chapter that we watch this play out in technicolor. As two men begin to bargain, begin to toy, begin to talk about something that either one of them had no business bargaining with. Jacob cooks. Jacob perhaps even pre-plans the interaction. And Esau returns and completes a transaction that will prove to require a weighty payment. Sell me this day thy birthright. That very statement, it ought to bring an arresting to every soul that is under the sound of my voice. It certainly does to me. You can almost feel the air get sucked out of the room. Sell me this day thy birthright. That very statement is arresting. It's sobering or at least it should be. You see, the birthright is just what it sounds like. By definition, it is any right or any privilege to which a person is entitled by birth. In a biblical sense, the birthright afforded the firstborn son certain privileges. The birthright made him the son of inheritance, an inheritor of the covenant promises, and it made him the family priest. It was the right to first inheritance and a double portion of the family fortune. It was most literally houses and lands 
and possessions of things. But hear me tonight. It went far deeper than things. It was a spiritual inheritance. At least this one was. And it was a spiritual privilege. It was a spiritual covering. But Esau's response to this admonition, sell me this day thy birthright, is what really ought to garner all the respect here tonight. He said, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And in verse 33, the Bible says that he sold Jacob his birthright. One question, no thought, just intent. Sell me your birthright. What will it do for me? And it's sold. Let me just pause here and say this. I say this to seasoned saints that know the difference between right and wrong. And so please don't get me wrong when I say this. But any encounter that you come into in life, no matter if you're eight years old or if you're 80 years old, anything that presents itself to you that requires you to lay down or give up or walk away from what God has given to you, I'm telling you emphatically, don't even give it another thought. Turn around and walk away. And so here we are, Esau sold his birthright and gave up his privilege for one single solitary meal. He prostituted promise for a moment of single and solitary satisfaction. It's a tale that is old as time. It was the same that was in the beginning when we see mankind entered the world and that very first question, does God really know what he's talking about? Is this really real? Adam and Eve were presented with a question and that struggle that come from that moment has never ceased in this world today. As soon as sin has entered the world, constant struggle, constant turmoil has entered into the world and has never ceased. And hear me today, the greatest battle, the greatest struggle that any of us will ever face in this life will not necessarily be from the enemy, but it will be within our own selves, from our own, with our own flesh, constant struggle in our own flesh and spirit. Esau is the very picture of flesh. He is the human personification of what the flesh craves. Esau is the stark contrast of what the spirit desires, which is covenant relationship. That is why Paul so, so, so adamantly admonishes us in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that you would. And so here we stand at the end of a, transaction it is complete the meal has been consumed Esau has eaten he arose and he went his way and the Bible says thus Esau despised his birthright 
But I have to ask the question tonight. Perhaps it's just my own investigative personality. Some people would call that nosy. <laughs> I've been called that before. But I just like to know. I want to know what causes things to go the way they go and what happens in certain things that cause things to end up the way they end up. And so I asked the question tonight, what could have led to this moment? What could have made a man forsake the most important thing in his life? What could have led to this horrible decision that would prove to be a weighty matter? Surely Esau and Jacob himself had spent time with their father. Certainly they would have sat at the feet of him and heard how their grandfather was called out of the land of the Chaldees into a place that God would show him. Certainly he would have listened to the memories of how Isaac was near to being sacrificed to God, yet a ram was caught in a thicket, thus saving him from an imminent death. Surely he would have heard of the promise Surely he would have understood what this birthright meant and how his father was miraculously born and how he was miraculously born into promise. He should have understood and known how that in direct lineage he was to receive the same promise that was promised to his grandfather, Abraham. And so what is the answer to all of this? What is the catalyst that could have caused all of this to come about? Perhaps I don't have all the answers tonight. I certainly don't boast to be someone who has all the answers, but I think that some of this can provide some insight. Genesis 25, 29 through 30. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. The very word that he is named, he's named for the very thing that took him down. Edom means red or earthy or earthly. And he said, give me of that earthly thing because I'm faint, I'm hungry, some translations render it as I am faint and famished. I'm weary in my spirit and in my body. Esau was weary from the field. Esau was faint from the hunt. Perhaps already worn down from an already carnal pursuit in his own life. Esau found himself weary and faint from the field, perhaps from the cares of the field, weighted down, weary, and faint. Can I say it like this? Perhaps Esau found himself weary and faint from the cares of this life and the pursuits that he had already allowed himself to get into. He was in want. He was hungry and thus complacent, weighted down with the cares of life. It is here in this very moment 
that he becomes a perpetual example of what fleshly lust is and what fleshly lust desires. Hebrews 12 and 15, the writer uses him as an example in verses 15 through 17. He says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, for you know that, he, that how afterward he would have inherited the blessing he was rejected for he found no place of repentance though he sought it carefully with tears. Now we're gonna get to that in just a moment but let me just say this. This is not saying that no one can find repentance after they've done something wrong. It simply means that the actions that he took were irreversible. The consequences of what he did were irreversible. Also, the fact that he was despising of his birthright. And so the writer of Hebrews writes this in a first century letter. He writes it to a first century church and he's already admonishing them to combat weariness and to stand guard against the potential failure that wrong decisions can bring. He's writing to a first century church. He's writing to Christians, men and women who had already received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and had been filled with his spirit, had already been baptized in Jesus' name. He's already writing this in the first century church. We're not that far past Pentecost. We're not that far into this thing and there's already admonishment to, to, to stand guard and to already to combat weariness in the hearts of people. The writer begins his chapter with an already instruction, an instruction that we all know. Lay, every, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. He starts this this way and then he, he, he admonishes them to look diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. If any man be a fornicator or a profane person like Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. First century. So if the first century church not far into this Someone was already getting on them saying, hey, you gotta get your mind right. You gotta get your, you gotta get your eyes on the prize. You got to go combat this weariness. You, got, you can't allow yourself to become faint. How much more in the 21st century church with everything that we have around us, the world, it's coming at us at warp speed. And hear me, we all stand the chance of becoming weary from the field. And so it's important to guard the birthright. It's important to, to guard your heart during seasons of weariness, seasons of famine, whether they are real or whether they are supposed. You see, Esau said, I'm weary. 
and faint. I'm tired and I just don't think I can make it another step. I'm at the point to die. And hear me tonight. We're all going to face that part of life. We're all going to face weariness. We are all going to become faint at some point or another. There, I don't think there's anybody out here that's of artificial intelligence. Everybody out here has got human flesh. There's nobody that gets, gets plugged in at night that you can just automatically just recharge. We're all going to face weariness. We're all going to come against this world, and we're going to get tired. But hear me, it's in these seasons that there will always be a temptation. There will always exist an opportunity for a bargain. And quick temporal fixes will always present themselves but will be the attitude in which we present to them that will make up the outcome of our entire life. It will determine our outcome. Esau wearied himself in the field which led to complacency, took him into a place of carelessness and eventually led to his calamity. But his insolent behavior and lack of respect for the birthright coupled with his weak mind and flesh caused him to choose a quick fix to his supposed predicament. And so we could stand here tonight and we could say, well, that would never happen to me. I would never do that. I would never put myself in that position. But hear me. He didn't necessarily put himself there. He was weary and he was faint and the, and the stove was already burning. The, the, the meal was already cooking. It was already done. He didn't have to wait. It was already ready. Hear me. The, the, the enemy of your soul is standing by. He is waiting for the absolute perfect opportunity to present something to you that will cause you to think twice about what the birthright can do for you. So Esau traded settled security. He gave up future blessing for a right now Satisfaction. He is used literally throughout scripture as an example for all the wrong reasons. However, I'm thankful tonight for every negative illustration. I'm thankful for every negative admonishment about what not to do. I'm thankful tonight that we have a myriad of circumstances that tells us what we should do in those situations that we are faced with. We have been given an even greater example than anyone could have been given of what should be done and the right way to respond and the correct outcome. It's found in none other than our Savior himself, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came unto him, he said, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth 
of God. The devil gave him plenty of opportunity to give up everything that he had been given, but he didn't. He didn't give it up. He just combated it with this. He said, it is written, you won't, you're not gonna take me down. You're not gonna trick me. You're not gonna make me give up what I've been given. It is written. The devil took him into a high pinnacle and offered everything that has a name. I'll give you all of this if you'll just bow down and worship me. I will give it to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Can I say it like this? if you'll just give me your birthright, if you'll just trade with me what you have, I'll give you all of this. But I'm thankful that Jesus stood with his back straightened and said, it is written, you get behind me because what I have is not for sale. Jesus, hear me, he began the right way. He was tired and he was hungry. But the Bible says he was led of the spirit. He was not led by this world and it was not the world that brought him down. It was the spirit of God that led him in the wilderness and because he started the right way, he had the right response when he, was in, when he entered in to the temptation. Esau's negative example can be likened to the first Adam and the situation that was presented closely resembles the exchange that took place in the garden having its root in rebellion and the transference of authority. Because authority, just like the birthright, is transferable. That's why I don't believe that once saved, always saved. And I don't mean any disrespect for anyone that might believe that. But I promise you that you can lose out with God even if you've been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says to change, to change your heart and your mind, be renewed in your spirit and your mind, think different, act different, walk in, in a different way. He, Peter said to save yourself from this untoward generation and walk in absolute holiness. And so authority is transferable, but Jesus came both to take possession of that authority and show what it takes to keep that authority. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is not just some prophet who came on the scene like some of these other people might say. He was just a good man. He, he had some good words to say. No, no, no. Jesus was God. He was God manifest in flesh. Jesus Christ is the only image of God born of a woman, seed of the Holy Ghost, the Son of God, and hear me, the rightful heir of the birthright. <laughs> Jesus is the positive example, the second Adam, sinless overcomer of the temptation. When presented with the opportunity to trade his authority, his blessing, and his spiritual inheritance for temporal stuff, Jesus Christ gave the right response. In, G in essence, this is what he said. In essence, this is what he said. You wanna give me this? This is gonna end, but what I have is eternal, and I'm gonna pass it down to my children. There's a Pentecost that's coming, and I'm gonna pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and I'm gonna give this birthright unto them. Jesus is that example for us. And so because the birthright is meant to be passed down, we're gonna take just a little bit of a turn, and we're gonna talk about the importance
of the birthright. Because hear me, there's always a price. There's always a price. Esau sold his birthright. But hear me, the price was not a bowl of beans. It did not end there. It did not come to summation there. The transaction took place, but the price is always the future. Had Jesus given up, there would have never been a Calvary there would never have been a Pentecost and there would never be an opportunity for any of us to be born again, to be heirs with him, with, with the birthright and a future blessing coming. And so for all intent and purposes, hear me, I don't bring some newfangled doctrine, but the Bible should rightly say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But it doesn't. It says that the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because Jacob obtained the favor and Jacob became the inheritor of the promise. And so we could fault Jacob for the manner in which he obtained the promise and that would probably be rightfully so. But Jacob represents the new covenant that God would establish which is mercy obtained through a truly repentant heart. You see, for everyone that refuses the birthright, for everyone who refuses to do what God has called them to do, for everyone who refuses to take their proper place in the kingdom of God, hear me, there's always somebody waiting that will. If you don't want it, you don't have to have it. If you don't want this, you don't have to have it. But there is somebody that does. If we don't want this, there's a people out there that do. There's a people out there that haven't bowed their knee to Baal that God's got waiting that want this and we need to be the ones to take it to them. Esau thought his actions only affected the moment and what he failed to see is that future generations would suffer because of his decision. His carnality his pursuit of carnal things begat more carnality in his life that created future carnality and a whole nation of people. But hear me, it doesn't just stop with carnality. It always becomes a root of bitterness. The Bible says that when he arose, he was done with the meal, but he despised his birthright. If you sell this, if you give it away, I'm telling you tonight that God will take it completely away and there will be no reason for you to return because God will not be the God of temporary things. And so it always creates bitterness. 
It will always create disdain for the things of God in the people of God. Because bitterness is a root that can grow beneath the surface with subtle, far-reaching effects. His carnal pursuits turned his mind away from the birthright. But it did not take him and his mind away from blessing. It took his mind off of the birthright. But Esau still wanted blessing. Esau only wanted a blessing, not so much the blessing. And hear me tonight, a blessing is what he received. And so here we are into the future. Genesis chapter 27, Isaac has grown old and feeble, approaching death and desires to convey to Esau the blessing that is connected with the right of the firstborn. Rebekah overhears and directs Jacob in deceiving his father to obtain the blessing. She disguises him and sends him in to impersonate his brother. Esau returns to find that the blessing has already been given. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, bless me, O my father. And he said, thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, is it not rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. Isn't it something that someone else is always to blame? And he has said, how hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord and all his brethren have I given to him for servants and with corn and wine have I sustained him. And verse 40, well, let's not skip ahead that far. And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing? My father, bless me, even me also. O oh, my father, and Esau lifted up his voice and wept, and Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above, and by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother. Now it's very interesting to see that these two statements, the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth are elements of the same blessing that was given to his brother Jacob. Though Isaac is not able to duplicate the blessing that he gave Jacob, there are elements that pertain to it. But hear me, only elements. The dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth. But Jacob received the blessing that God would give. Esau received the blessing that he would have to obtain by himself. He said, by thy sword, indicating that it would be predicated upon the same thing that he had already relied on, himself and himself alone, his own arm of flesh. 
You see, the blessing that Esau received was prophetic for future generations and their servitude to the descendants of Jacob. Jacob received the blessing of relationship to God and to God's ability, while Esau received the curse or the blessing of relationship to his own ability. And so if you were to serve, or if you were to, if you were to search the Edomite religion, their Edomite background or history, you would see that the Edomites served primarily fertility gods, gods, plural. They were polytheists serving a myriad of deities, idols, and idol worship. You see, if we search after those fleshly things, if we search after the things of this world, it will inevitably produce other generations that do the same. But from the archaeological excavations and surveys in Edom, it does appear that they did develop, they did grow, they grew both culturally and materialistically. They had things. They had cities. They had armies. They had dukes and kings and all of the such. But what does this mean? Sure, the children of Edom had possessions, they had cattle, and they had riches. But hear me, most of it was obtained through their own pillaging, by their own self, and by their own flesh. God did not give them anything, and they did not inherit the promise. And so, if we seek to seek after those material things of this world, chances are we will probably obtain them, but it will only be stuff and it will only be temporary. God will not be the God of stuff and God will not be the God of earthly riches. You see, my God is the God of eternal promises. That's why he said set your affections on things above and not things upon this earth. Set your affections on eternity. God is not interested in blessing us with an instant blessing of gratification but God is only interested in giving us lasting treasure that goes from eternity to eternity but hear me sometimes we are going to have to walk through hardship sometimes we are going to have to walk through famine sometimes we are going to have to walk through suffering in order to get to that point but hear me if you can just hold on to the birthright if you can just hold on to the birthright the Bible says for our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal I'm telling you that if you can just hold on to the birthright 
God will take you somewhere. Don't allow a season of absolute weariness and faintness create doubt in your mind, causing you to lay down everything that God has given you. You've got an eternal inheritance coming your way if you can just hold on to the birthright. You see, the blessing is on its way if you've been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. The word of God says if that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will make your carnal body mortal and immortal and raise you from the dead. And so hear me today. It's time for the church to really act like the church. It's really time for men and women who say they are the church to rise up and say this world is not my home. I am just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I am just a sojourner in a far land. I'm going to hang on to my birthright. I'm going to hang on to what God has given me and I am going to pass it down to my children and my children's children and if the Lord tarries their children. The birthright hear me is not for sale. I'm coming to a close of our musicians. We'll come and I close quickly. We are combating weariness right now. And you can write me off as crazy if you want to. But we are fighting faintness right now in this building. And I think we ought to lift our hands. I think we ought to lift our voices right now and ask God to touch our minds and our hearts. Lord Jesus, we need you right now. We need your presence right now, Lord. We need your anointing to touch our minds and our hearts. God, we need you. God, arrest our souls, God. Every person in this building has been given an opportunity to make a bargain. And as the time begins to dwindle down to that last trump, we are going to have to fight with everything that we have to combat the weariness and the faintness that is trying to take over in our hearts and our minds. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. I don't know quite how to say it, but we are in the fight of our lives. God has been moving miraculously in this building but don't think for a moment that we're in a safe place. And I don't mean to scare anyone. I don't mean to, to sound negative or certainly don't want to sound like someone who is coming across as being that way. But we are fighting faintness and 
weariness from the field. And the devil, our life, is going to make a way for you to make a bargain. A question is going to be risen. Is it really worth it? What can this birthright do for me now? I'm weary. I'm faint from the field. I'm hungry. And it's just not working out for me. But hear me. There's some people that are waiting for this birthright. There are some children that haven't reached that age quite of understanding that are waiting for that birthright. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to hand that to them. I want to be able to give my daughter all the things that she needs. But if we end up living in a tent next week, if I can hand her this birthright, nothing else will matter. If I can hand her eternity and say this is what you got to do but if I don't want it chances are she's not going to want it if you don't want it people you come in contact with they're not going to want it so I don't want to ask what can this birthright do for me? I want to ask the question, what can't this birthright do for me? When the last trump sounds and Jesus returns, I want to have that spirit on the inside of me. I want to be able to rightly hold on to that inheritance and spend eternity with him and pass this down to my children. Vesta Mangan said, life is a potential hand-me-down. The way you live is a potential hand-me-down. The only question that remains is that when you are done with it, will it be worth wearing? Life is a potential hand-me-down, but will this life that I live be worth passing on to our children and to those who are waiting for the birthright? So I end with this. You can write me off as nostalgic, 
perhaps even corny, and that's okay. But I want to do what the song says. I wouldn't take nothing from my journey now. I've got to make it to heaven somehow. And though the devil tempts me and he tries to turn me around, he's offered everything that's got a name, all the wealth that I want and all the worldly fame. Still, if I could, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. God is going to take us somewhere beyond the blue. Would you lift your hands and would you lift your voices to heaven now? Would you ask God to seal this word in your heart? In the name of Jesus, I want to live the way he wants me to. I want to give everything that I can. I want to be a prophet to the kingdom. I want to be an asset and not a liability. I want to hold on to the birthright. Come on, let's lift our voices to him. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.